Hey there, everyone. I'm Ariel, GM of the Legend of the Five Rings campaign Shadows in the West, and welcome to the first of our 20 questions episodes leading up to the release of our story. The L5R 4th edition book has a list of questions called the Game of 20 Questions to get to know your character better in the back of the book. And this series will introduce our players and their characters one at a time. Today, we're here with Hana, who plays Kitsune Shio of Kenkubushi in Shadows in the West. So we're going to start with some player questions, and the first of them is, who are you, what do you do, what are some of your interests? Uh, hi, I'm Hana. I play Shio. What do I do? Well, technically I'm an editor for pay, but I like to think of myself as more of a writer, whether or not that'll ever actually happen. Um, I like reading, writing, drawing, playing video games, going outside and commuting with nature. <laughs> Very uh, on brand. Yeah, well, I, I'm the resident bird nerd, so I really do enjoy just like going outside and like, what bird is that? I don't know. Let's find out. So I think, I think that's about it. And what is your history with gaming, just tabletop in general or like mm. role-playing as a whole since, you know, there's Neopets origin stories like a lot of us had or... <laughs> yeah. Oh, Neopets. My first experience with tabletop was like way back when I was like eight or nine years old. My mom used to play D&D when she was a teenager and uh, she introduced me and my younger sisters to it and we did some kind of baby campaigns with her DMing. And of course, since we were all under the age of 10, it was <laughs> it was a pretty interesting experience. Yeah, uh, I had some pretty good pretty good things with my brother. He was like 8. He was pretty good at it. So. Yeah. I think we were okay at it, but like my littlest sister who was like 6 at the time, I think, she would get really upset when things would <laughs> die that she was fond of and uh so I think my mom had to like pull a lot of punches and and make things go a certain way so that youngest sister wouldn't have a complete meltdown. <laughs> Not some lingering trauma. Yeah, that that was about my only tabletop up until about, I guess, two years ago. I did roleplay a lot in, like, on forums and then World of Warcraft in my, like, late teens and early 20s. But uh, up until uh, a Pathfinder campaign with Thariel and a couple of our other players, I didn't touch D&D since, since my childhood. So now we'll move on to some official 20 questions about the character. And we're going to start with what clan do they belong to? Well, Shio is technically Kitsune. She's been sort of adopted by them semi-officially. I believe she kind of has the right to call herself Kitsune, but it's kind of an odd situation considering who she is. She is very loyal to them and she cares about them deeply, however, and will perform what duties are required of her for them if needed. So they belong to the Kitsune family. How do they feel about that? Oof. Well, she she's very fond of them. They were a huge part of her recovery after some really awful events in her life. She's lived there for quite a bit, actually, throughout her, her lifespan, actually. Like, only recently did she become kind of a part of the clan, but part of that, she kind of drifted in and out of Kitsune Mori. She's immortal, so, you know... I'm sure there have been other escapades in, in Kitsune Mori and, and uh, Kitsune Mori Mura prior to our campaign. She she thinks they're a good bunch. She likes that they, they are very in touch with nature and spirits and respect non-humans, much like the Owl Clan in our Togashi universe. And is she a Bushi, Shigenja, Monk, Courtier? She's a Bushi. She's a warrior. Kenku Swordsman. So... She was raised by a pretty powerful and uh, ancient... Her mother is a pretty powerful and ancient Bushi herself. She kind of had hopes that Shio would follow in her footsteps as a, as kind of a, I don't know, hidden forest 
mentor of the secret sword arts of the bird people, but uh, <laughs> children don't really want to do what their parents want them to do. So, and that's one of the themes. In the yes. <laughs> so, how would others describe her appearance, or how would she describe herself? Others would probably describe her as kind of weird looking. She's not particularly traditionally Rokugani looking. More, I kind of went for more of a, a South Asian or, or Indian look, kind of pulling into this idea that the Rokugan we're working in is not only Japanese. And uh, so kind of working with that a little bit more. I kind of headcanon. I haven't actually discussed this particularly, but I kind of headcanon. It's kind of like a weird mixture of like maybe Kirin, maybe Mantis, something else. Well, if she's imitating the fox, that was their original origin story, the Kirin, so... Oh, there we go. See? That's perfect. And what's her primary motivation, or, like, what drives her forward? Her main goal is one that she hasn't been particularly good lately about following, which is to discover the people who stole her only daughter away from her. So this happened about 15-ish years ago, and for about 10 years, she and her husband were searching desperately trying to find this but unfortunately just could not discover where she had gone what had happened and then uh her husband kind of gave up and retreated to sakaku and uh shio has also given up in her own way even though she would never actually tell anyone that she's just kind of adrift at this point trying to kind of be subsumed by human culture instead of kenku and uh in that way i'm guessing that since her husband left for Sakaku, he's not among the people she trusts most. So who would she trust most, would you say? That would probably be... It's changed a little bit. Like, at the beginning of our story, her most trusted person is a kitsune, Hazako, who was her lover for a little bit. And still remain. they still remain very close, but uh, there's a little bit of rockiness between them that has kept them apart. But later on in the story, she comes to trust many of her fellow samurai companions very, very deeply. And what is Shio's greatest strength and her greatest weakness, would you say? I would say her greatest strength is that she's seen a lot of shit. <laughs> she's 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 not that old as Kenku go, but she's like 200-something. So she's been wandering around for a while, and she she knows a lot of things about a lot of different people and, and cultures and environments. She's pretty self-sufficient. She's very curious and inquisitive. I'd like to say she's kind of spontaneous. She, she tends to kind of think outside of the box because she's not Rokugani, so she's not in that box at all. But on the other hand, like, she's kind of a know-it-all, even if she doesn't realize it. She's very proud. She's very private because, you know, she's she's trying to pretend to be human. She doesn't she doesn't feel like people need to know these other things about her. I find I think that's probably pretty detrimental to her a lot of the time. She also, like, despite being curious and generally caring, she she's kind of flighty. She she goes in and then she realizes, oh gosh, I don't actually know what I was going to do here. I want to help, but mm, and then backs out immediately. Mm-hmm. So. So what does she think of Bushido? She thinks it's very silly. Like, she herself thinks it's very silly and, and it doesn't really understand why people are so caught up in it, even as she kind of has absorbed parts of it. Just from being amongst Rokugani so much, she's internalized a lot of these ideas about, like, honor, compassion, justice, uh, even as she kind of criticizes it, just because the Rokugani concept of justice is very different from her own concept of justice and how, you know, fairness and equality, etc. So is she married? Since you did mention a husband, like, how does she consider that to be, I guess, officially 
standing? Is it kind of wavy? She considers it a null arrangement at this point. She was married for, I guess, about 50 years, give or take. I, I... I keep my time flows with her very amorphous because it's like, eh. but um, she, they, she and her husband Kinari were were married for quite a while when he went to Sakaku uh, after you know a big fight and a big falling out. She considers their relationship null and void. Um, does she have any prejudices that kind of <laughs> bubble up? She's super bad about scorpions. Predictably, like who doesn't have issues with scorpions? Honestly, um, she, I, I say this mo- one because I, I kind of I, there's a story I haven't written yet about how she and her husband meet, and it involves scorpion shit <laughs> happening. It's pretty bad. So she's she's very wary around them. She isn't going to like not try if they're not being giant assholes, which I feel is important considering one of our later additions to our party is a scorpion but it does make it kind of interesting like she doesn't trust them but she'll she is also willing to give it a chance i guess she's also not super into lions in general because they're just not very friendly to non-humans they're very forward (laughs) i would say forward's a good way of putting it to whom does she owe the most loyalty would you think at this point like at the, the start of the story, rather. The than... start of the story, she owes the most loyalty definitely to Hazako, just because Hazako has, you know, saved her life at one point and has been basically her only friend since she lost her husband. As as it moves on, she she kind of develops this loyalty to her companions and to uh, the Emerald Magistrate Okoto, especially. She's very fond of him and and thinks he's doing good things and wants to help him. What are her favorite things and least favorite things, would you say? Well, she loves swordplay. She is a warrior because she just likes the physicality of it. She likes the art of it. She likes the forms and uh, and learning new forms and all of that. It entertains her and keeps her mind off of things. She loves food and finding new food <laughs> of all forms. She and Crow have a few conversations surrounding food adventures early on, which is pretty fun. She loves the ocean when she was very small. Her her father spent a very long time together, kind of living near the near the sea in crane lands, so and she's always wanted to sail. And shiny things, of course. She doesn't like nighttime because her night vision is awful. She's very diurnal. <laughs> she's she's just awful at seeing at night. So like doing anything outside of, you know, basic stuff when it's dark out, she's just a mess. Not a great yeah. time. No, no. She really hates birds of prey, which, you know, she's she's a magpie. She's they're not they're not buddies. And she's not very fond of horseback riding, though Crow has taught her a little bit as the story progresses and she kind of is starting to get over it a little bit, but still doesn't trust horses at all. I'd say it's a good stance. <laughs> Does she have any recurring mannerisms? She's she's a bird person pretending to be human. So she she tends to move her head in odd ways. She can uncannily keep her head steady while she's riding, while her body is jouncing around, her head will be static. <laughs> her eyes tend to... Uh, her pupils are particularly dynamic, uh, and she's not very good at hiding that. She could, but she forgets to. So there's a lot of rapid-fire dilation and uh, pinning of them. If you go look at an Indian ringneck, I'm just pulling from that madly, even though magpies don't do that. <laughs> I just think it's really cool. What would you say her emotions are generally like? Does she have a disposition that's 
typical or does she kind of bounce around a lot? I'd like to say that mostly she seems calm and interested in things around her. She she tries to appear contained just because that's how Rokugani are, but sometimes she's not contained in the right ways. <laughs> she doesn't really understand at some moments when she's how she's supposed to be reacting to certain situations. So she she finds a lot of things funny that other people would not find funny at all. She tends to laugh at inopportune moments or inappropriate moments. She has a lot of big emotions that she's very good at hiding, I would say. So how would she handle a subordinate's improper behavior or conduct with that in mind? She she doesn't really, like, she, she thinks the whole caste system going on in Rokugani culture to be completely stupid, so she, she probably wouldn't care. She'd be, like, annoyed, but she's not gonna punish them in any way or force them to seppuku or anything like that. She'd probably just kind of slap them on the wrist and shut up. <laughs> Stop being a dick. How would uh, Shima's parents describe her? Well, her mother... <laughs> her mother thinks that she is being very irresponsible and very irreverent. She she thinks she's she's not taking herself and her role as as a kenku seriously, and also that she's she's just been grieving for too long. Like it's been fifteen ish years since the uh, since her daughter was stolen. So it's time to move on and take your proper place in the woods somewhere, teaching small birds how to wield swords. Her dad, on the other hand, is thinks that she's just having a really hard time and she doesn't deserve it. He thinks that she needs more time or, or it's okay that she's taking this long to, and it's okay that she's doing whatever the heck she is she's doing, you know, which is at this point... Trying her best. Yes, her best. What is her highest ambition? Again, she she has kind of like this, this view of justice and and rightness and fairness inside of herself that she would like to to see maybe not mirrored but she'd, she'd like to see more of it in the world so one of her one of her greater ambitions is to to help you know and to try and institute more justice and more right in the world as well as i mean this is cheesy but like finding herself you know like trying to recover from all of the things that have happened and also choose or create a space for herself between these two worlds that she's living in, which is the human world and the non-human spirit kanku world. Proper balance. So is she very religious? Not really. No. I mean, she she respects the spirits and the fortunes and the the Tao of Shinsei. She thinks the Tao is like, eh, that's, that's a pretty good idea, I guess. But she she doesn't revere things. She She respects their power and will you know, give them the proper dues when they're helping her, but otherwise not really. And if you could give her advice, what would you tell her? Please stop. <laughs> Please. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think I'd probably say just like be more honest with your friends. You don't need to hide so much and you don't need to try and be so aloof. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sums it up. Well, maybe going forward, she will uh, learn that lesson. I hope so. I... We will see. It'll be a journey for sure. It will. So thanks for coming out and doing this. No, oh, thank you for arranging it and having me and listening to me talk about my stupid bird.
For all the latest updates in our podcast, be sure to check us out on Twitter at SITWL5R. You can also join our Discord server to talk L5R, tabletop, and everything in between. Shadows in the West is played using the fourth edition of the Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game, developed by Alderac Entertainment Group and owned by Fantasy Flight Games. 